<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi there. I'm Lauren McGoodwin, founder and CEO of Career Contessa, and you're listening to the Females Podcast Summer School Edition. This season, we're heading back to school. Career school, that is with experts here to teach us the ins and outs of specific topics. Today's teachers are Felicia Jadzak and Rachel Murray, the founders of She Geeks Out, and a dynamic duo here to teach us how privilege shows up at work and how to navigate those very tricky waters. I'll admit that I got the idea to explore this topic after that whole Varsity Blues scandal, and it made me wonder how privilege and power were being integrated into the workplace too. You've probably witnessed this at work yourself and wondered what you can do about this seemingly invisible issue. We'll be covering that and more on this episode. And because we're here for that real talk advice, be sure to stick around until after Rachel and Felicia's teachable moment, because we'll be answering your listener questions, starting with how to make the leap from freelancing to full-time entrepreneur. You can submit your career questions for us to answer on future episodes by leaving us a voicemail at 844-FEMALES. And now, this is the Females Summer School Edition. Hello, Felicia and Rachel. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Well, let's start by having you share what exactly is She Geeks Out. Sure. So uh, this is Rachel. So She Geeks Out, we are based in Boston. We do two primary things. We run events for tech and tech-adjacent women and non-binary people, primarily in Boston, also in New York and San Francisco. And we also offer corporate training on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I take it I take it you guys started this because you saw a gap, something you had an experience that made you want to start She Geeks Out. Some, something had to have happened for you guys to start this. Oh. Yeah, uh, this is Felicia speaking. So Rachel and I like to joke that this is our origin story. Yeah, <laughs> We'll try and give you the really quick version of it. Back in 2013, Rachel and I initially had met. I was working at a large software company. She was, were you working still I at was, a company? I yeah. was also working at a large tech company. <laughs> In my role, I had been asked by the CTO and the VP of innovation at my company to start an employee resource group for our female software engineers. And my boss, who was the VP there, wanted to hold an event for women in tech in Boston. And so that's how I actually got connected with Rachel because Rachel had been in this space a little bit before that point. Yeah, I I actually wanted to find other 
lady nerds to hang out with because I was one myself and there weren't any groups in Boston. This was a few years before then. And so, yeah, I absolutely found a need to to connect with other women in tech. And it really wasn't until Felicia popped into my life and we had our first event um, that it really sort of took off. Yeah. And so it started off where it was a side project for both of us. Yeah. The, the need really was that we held this first event. We had 80 women show up. And so it was clear that yeah. there was something yeah. there. And we were excited by it. They were excited by it. So we're like, okay, we'll just see where this goes. And so we just started seeing who would host us and who would be interested in showing up for events. And it grew very organically and very quickly from there. We formed the company in 2015. And then in end of 2016, both Rachel and I stepped away from our other pursuits to do She Geeks Out full time. Yeah, it's worth, and this is Rachel again, it's worth saying that what was so interesting for us is we didn't really think anything of it. But when we started getting booked out a year in advance, (laughs) we were like, huh, maybe there is something. Right. That's usually a sign that you guys are in high demand. Uh, That's amazing. I love that. And I think it's great that it originated in Boston too, just because, you know, when you naturally think of tech hubs, I think everyone's brain goes to Silicon Valley, right? away. So that's great that you guys are able to be on the other coast, bringing it to more women. And I would say absolutely there's a need. So, I mean, you guys know that being booked out a year in advance. So we're not talking about women in tech, although we probably could and should and maybe (laughs) will throughout these conversations. But we mostly invited you guys on here today to talk about another important topic, which is how to navigate power and privilege in the workplace, which is I mean, where do we start with this topic? I mean, do we decide, do we start by defining, you know, what privilege is? Do we go straight to describing what this looks like in the workplace? I mean, where's a good place to start with this very heavy, but also not straightforward topic? Yes. Uh, we could spend a Days. semester yeah. on this topic, so we'll try our best to distill this into a, a brief conversation as much as we can. Uh, I think a good place to start with this conversation is to do a little bit of definitions around some of these topics and words, because, I mean, we see this all the time, you know, especially today, I think diversity, inclusion, equity are all very much top of mind, but we're not always sure what we're talking about. And it can de- depend on what context we're, we're speaking about these topics. And so, so when I think about privilege, and I should actually also mention, this is Felicia again speaking, when I think about privilege, I actually go first to our group memberships. And so as individuals, as humans, we all have different social identity groups that make up who we are. And what I mean by social identity groups is these are socially constructed categories to which we are assigned as individuals based on a number of different characteristics like physical, cultural, linguistic. So this is what most people tend to think about when they think about diversity. And of course, I'm talking not just about what the visible characteristics and elements of diversity are like race, ethnicity, gender, but also the ones that may not be as visible, things like ability, disability, first language, cultural backgrounds, things like that. And so all of these memberships make up each of us who we are. And so when we start thinking about privilege, the way that I like to define and think about privilege is it's societal power that's based on those different group memberships, because some of those memberships will allow us certain access, certain Mm -hmm. outcomes, certain privileges, and others will not or take those away from us. And so that's how I start to think about that. And how does it I mean, when we're describing it in the workplace, I guess, could you give some examples of, you know, privilege in the workplace? When people say that, are they mostly referring to, you know, white male CEOs? I mean, are we talking about 
I guess, I don't even know how to ask the question, but like how, what is, give me some examples of what we would define it as in the workplace. Yeah. There's a number of different ways. And again, I think this is going to be very contextual. So I think for the purpose of our discussion right now, we'll probably default to tech. And Mm -hmm. then in tech, my understanding of it will be that uh, the dominant groups tend to be white men Mm -hmm. and cisgendered heterosexual men. Obviously, that's, you know, a pretty broad statement, but that's kind of what we tend to default when we think about tech. And so if we're thinking about what privilege looks like in that context, you know, privilege is basically that those things that you don't have to think about that afford you benefits. Mm -hmm. So for example, for me, um, I'm not a a white man, but (laughs) I am a biracial woman in tech. And, but I, I do have privilege based on some of my own individual group membership. So for example, I'm heterosexual. And here in the US, that tends to be a dominant group identity. Mm -hmm. So for me, when I go through life, I don't have to worry about if I were to move outside of Boston to a different state, would I be able to marry my partner? Or would I be threatened to have my job taken away or be fired because of my sexual orientation? You know, in the workplace context, it's even small things like assuming that you'll get Christmas off and not caring or worrying or thinking about other holidays that might be really important to other religious groups that are not part of that dominant privileged conversation. And and I can add to that mm-hmm. as well. So another, I think, top of mind example for a lot of people when they think about it in the workplace is bathroom use, which is yeah. just, yeah. you know, it's, it's, <laughs> but, but even sometimes you can even think of, you know, people with, with disabilities, not being able to reach certain things or things that we just take for granted, you know, not being able to have access to, to certain, you know, literal physical spaces because of, of limitations. It's the, it's exactly what Felicia said. It's, it's the default and trying to think about, so people who are, are privileged don't have to think about their situation. Another example that maybe people don't even think about a lot because there's a lot of invisibility to this is, you know, we think about for people who might be alcoholics, a lot of times there's beer kegs everywhere in happy hours. And that can be really hard for people who are in that situation or, you know, new mothers. I think there's a, there's a growing movement now to having nursing rooms, but that's really, really new. So basically um, all of these different groups don't have the privilege at of the gate. Right. And I think too, you know, tying it back to the workplace, and this is something we talk about and think about a lot. It's also things like, you know, pay equity, who gets paid what? And, you know, there's research study after research study that continues to come out about, you know, the differences in gender. And I'll just say, you know, men versus women for the purpose of this discussion, but, you know, men versus women in terms of who gets what and, even when women are asking for equal pay, they don't always get it because that is a backlash. And, you know, who gets promoted, who's getting lifted up because they're looked at as aggressive in the sense that they're going after business and they're going after clients and they're confident versus described as bitchy, you know, all of these things or greedy or selfish or, you know, there's a lot of different ways that this privilege can show up. And again, I think a lot of it ties back to this idea that people with privilege are oftentimes not aware that they possess that privilege. Mm Hey there, let's take a quick break to tell you about today's sponsor, LinkedIn. Hiring is definitely not as simple as putting a posting for your job in your local newspaper or even using a university's job board. And to make it more challenging, 
Most job hosting services make it hard to know who's even really applying for your jobs and what are their skills. When it's time to hire, you naturally want to reach the right people for your job and quickly because running a business already means you have a lot on your plate and you're juggling a lot of different things and spending a ton of time hiring is not something you're probably looking forward to. And odds are the right person for your job is on LinkedIn. With more than 650 million members visiting each day, LinkedIn is the go-to resource for people to make connections, learn and grow as professionals, and discover new job opportunities. I also really love that LinkedIn offers services and tools outside of job postings because it's great to know that potential candidates for your jobs are actively engaged with all parts of their career development. In fact, LinkedIn members add 15 new skills to their profiles and apply to 35 job posts every two seconds. I know, I was shocked as well. And those skills that people add to their profiles are also what helps LinkedIn make sure that your job postings get in front of people who meet your role requirements. Skills like collaboration, adaptability, and more. By using LinkedIn for your hiring needs, you can trust in the quality of the job posting process and the candidates. I used LinkedIn all the time while I was a corporate recruiter, and it's still my number one tool for hiring as a business owner. To get $50 off your first job post, go to linkedin.com slash females. Again, that's linkedin.com slash females to get $50 off your first post. Terms and conditions apply. All right, now let's get back to the show. Yeah, no, that's actually, I mean, my next question, when I was researching this topic, it is often referred to as an invisible problem in the workplace. And I guess, I mean, knowing, I guess step one is, as you said, kind of defining the terms and understanding. Step two is understanding that this is an invisible problem. So then I guess step three is, if you know it's invisible and you want to be mindful of that and create a workplace that, you know, doesn't have this or even be a person in the workplace that doesn't, I don't know, use that privilege to your advantage or to disadvantage somebody else, how how do you do that? You know, how do you be mindful of this and then like create change through this invisible problem? Yeah, I think the first thing is, again, um, like you said, a lot of this is invisible. So the first step is really having that understanding and awareness. That's challenging because if you don't know what you don't know, you don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and and also there, it's very challenging because I think that a lot of people who sit with these dominant group memberships with a lot of this privilege – have this fear that if they start unpacking this, if they even start understanding this issue at a deeper level and acknowledging it, then that will mean that they then lose something. And so I think especially in tech, what we see is there's this backlash from people, from these white cis men who who basically are afraid that if they try to shift that narrative, acknowledge that privilege and start to bring other people up, then that means that they are going to lose out. And so I think that's one of the really big challenges that anyone who's in this work or even just working today has to has to deal with and grapple with. And, and I can add to that a little bit as well. I think, you know, if if you're coming to this and you're sort of wondering like, man, like how can I make a difference? You know what? I think a, a really like easy place to start. And I a hundred percent agree with Felicia on like, it's gotta be around education awareness. Like there are so many books and websites and 
and videos, but also just on a very basic human level, empathy for right. other people, like mm-hmm. just keeping your eyes open, listening. And, and if somebody is challenging your worldview to try not to be so defensive, it's really easy to be defensive about this stuff because it is all for all the reasons that Felicia said, and just because we're all humans yes. and we want to <laughs> be right, right? We don't want to, we don't want to be the wrong person. We want to think that everything's a meritocracy and that we aren't biased, but, you know, doing some self-reflection and listening to others, I think is like a really good, you know, first step too. Mm-hmm. And the other thing too, is that, you know, um, when people start digging into this work, there can also be the sense of overwhelmingness where people are just like, wow, they're like, you know, when we start talking about the history of oppression, like yeah. the society, like you start right. and you start feeling like, it's impossible to change or what do you do or it's so big. And so a lot of times also it's about realizing this nuance that you can be a good individual person, but you can benefit from privilege. Right. And a lot of times people who have a lot of privileged identities default to this, this thinking and this mindset that if I, am a good person. And that means that I am not privileged. And so, you know, it's not about you as a person and how you operate in the world. It's about understanding where are those elements of diversity, where are those group memberships and how can they afford you a privilege, even if that doesn't mean that you get like a check in the mail. Right. Yeah. And so a lot of times people will say like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm a white guy, but I didn't go to college or like I, my parents were poor and I didn't have all these benefits. And that's that can be absolutely true on an individual level. But from a societal level, that white guy is absolutely privileged. And so it's understanding that nuance, which can be a delicate conversation, especially for people who've never really had to think about this before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and and quite frankly, I would throw myself in that boat. You know, I'm a a white woman and I didn't think about the fact that I was benefiting from privilege. Like I absolutely, you know, I'm being called on the carpet for the fact that I was like, well, I mean, I'm just like everybody else. Like I had privilege, but not like not to her level or, you know, not to his level, but it's, you're a hundred percent true. It's like just being a white woman, there's privilege in that. And as you said, like a white heterosexual woman, there's privilege in that. And I, I, I do think that that's a really important point that you make just because there's a lot of people who are going through life with really good intentions, but that doesn't mean that you're not benefiting from privilege. Exactly. Well said. As a, as a fellow white woman, I completely agree. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, on the topic of privilege, I do think, you know, we have to cover gender equality. And I'm sure you guys remember this story, but a story that I always think about this that relates to this, you know, quote unquote, invisible problem is last year, a male BBC presenter interviewed and. Uh, Andy Murray about winning his second gold medal at the Olympics saying, you know, you're the first person to ever win two Olympic tennis gold medals. And that's an extraordinary feat, right? Like he's, he's interviewing him and, and I love Andy Murray. He replies by saying, well, actually both the Williams sisters already won four gold medals each. You know, first person to win two gold medals is is one inaccurate, but also when privilege is invisible, it might seem that way, but it is not that way. And we need to really work together to get more clarity on the issue of gender equality as well. I mean, where do we start with with that as as it pertains to this invisible problem? Yeah, I love that example too yeah. because I think it's it speaks exactly to what we've been talking about, where what that presenter should have said and what he really meant without knowing it. I'm, yeah. I'm His is, intentions were probably good too, right? Yeah. Well, he, he was, what he was saying is you're the first man yeah. to ever win two Olympic gold tennis medals. 
And that to me speaks that here in our society, the default is male and the norm is male. You know, even if you think about things like we automatically assign gender to a lot of different things. So let's say you're out on the street and you meet a puppy or a baby. Yeah. We automatically <laughs> say he. And it's just it's just because that is the way that we've been socialized in the society to accept that as as the sort of the neutral. And then if it's not male, then you have to add female to that, right? So that's why you see a lot of times people will say like, oh, well, this is so-and-so a female CEO or a female policeman or a female insert whatever. And so that's because we have this default as as the norm is male. And that, I, that example speaks to that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it's really, it's not just about the privileges here, but it's also about how are we norming our society and what are those standards that have been put in place and been here for generations and generations. And so I have a story that I share a lot where I had met this woman who was, who was a white woman from Utah. And we had been talking about the topic of diversity. And she said to me, well, it's a really tough conversation for me to have because I'm, I don't know how to talk about my identity because I'm just normal. And to me, that was the same exact thing. It was a red flag to say, the normal that she's saying is she possesses dominant privileged identities. She's white. She's a heterosexual woman. Mm-hmm. And so she never has had to think about the breadth of experience. And so to your question about how we can get more clarity on this and how we can work and, and start, where do we start with this issue is it's really, it comes back to that education and awareness around this topic and pushing back on those statements. And I, that's why, you know, I love that Annie Murray exactly. responded yeah. and saying, you know, I'm not the first person to get this achievement. It's actually already happened. And what I was, and I, absolutely agree. Like, I love this too, because what he's showing is allyship. Yeah. And I think when you are in that position of privilege, when you use your privilege to really expose it, that's when things it's start so to powerful. change. Yeah. Like yeah. leveraging the privilege. I actually just read an article recently where Benedict Cumberbatch said that he's not going to accept any movie roles going forward if his female co-stars, and again, see, I have to say female, female co-stars mm-hmm. right. are are not being paid equally to him. Well, because the assumption is that they probably aren't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Assumption, the reality. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and there's that famous example using movies as another yeah. context. Famous example of those reshoots for that movie where um, I think yeah. it was some male co-star got really like a ton of money for reshooting and Michelle Williams got like $500 for reshooting yeah. and had no idea. So, so it's about, like Rachel said, people understanding that where they sit and that privilege and then leveraging it. Yeah. And what's really cool too, is that we're starting to see a trend. I think the, uh, the big media houses are starting to catch on to this as well. Thanks to a lot of push. Mm-hmm. When Marvel just wrote, I think uh, just made a statement about how their new Marvel, the MCU universe is they're very intentional about uh, making sure that it is a more diverse universe. And that has so much power in it too, because yeah. when you see people that are different than the, the quote unquote norm, that's when also when people's minds change about, oh, it's not just the cisgender white male that is the hero, that is the good guy, that is the savior. It's yeah. all these other people. Yeah, I mean, you're redefining the status quo. Right. Exactly. Media, media plays a big role in all of this. You know, I mean, it's it's what people grow up with, too. So if you can change it for, you know, the kids' movies and, and TV shows, that changes, you know, how they are as adults. Hey there, let's take a quick break to talk about today's sponsor, Vistaprint. Building a business comes with many challenges. One of the biggest challenges, spreading the word. 
That's why when I first started Career Contessa, I turned to Vistaprint for business cards, tumblers, and the coveted Career Contessa tote bag. The thing that made me feel like I had really made it, though, was that very first business card from Vistaprint. Your next big opportunity might be just around the corner, so make it count. All you need to own it now is $10. With that, you can create a custom card with colors, fonts, and designs that truly represent you. For me, I made sure that we had what we call Career Contessa Blue all over the card. Also, I want to add that I'm definitely by no means a professional designer, but that didn't stop me from creating really professional-looking cards because Vistaprint makes it easy to add your logo and design with their tools. With Vistaprint, you can create a truly professional and unique card in a matter of minutes. Upload your own design or start from scratch and use Vistaprint's simple tools to create your own look. Pick the paper stock, style, and quantity that's right for you. Lastly, choose your delivery speed and receive your cards in as few as three days. Vistaprint wants you to be able to own the now in any situation, which is why our listeners will get 500 high-quality custom business cards starting at just $9.99. Just go to vistaprint.com females. That's a quirky spelling, guys. So it's F-E-M-A-I-L-S. So mail, like envelopes and letterheads, things that you can get at Vistaprint. That's vistaprint.com slash females. Vistaprint.com slash F-E-M-A-I-L-S. All right, now let's get back to the show. Let's talk about some specific tools or examples that you guys can share that, um, you know, this show is probably mostly listened to by uh, women who are working for other companies. So thinking from their point of view or in their shoes, what are some specific things that they can do in the workplace, including getting men, uh, as you said, becoming allies in this conversation? Yeah. I mean, I would, I would actually push back a little bit and say it doesn't have to be on the shoulders of the women or any of those marginalized <laughs> mm-hmm. people. It's like, that is the whole issue right there. Right. Yeah. So my call to action would be more for those people who've never had to think about this before, who are maybe listening to something like this or in the world saying, why should I care? And it's really about again, understanding your position and then how you can leverage that and how you can redefine that narrative. A lot of times for people who sit with these privileged identities, the first way that you can start to shift this sort of status quo is by having those points, as Rachel mentioned, that those empathetic points of connection to people who do not share the same privileges. So for a lot of white men, especially in tech, what you start hearing is, well, I didn't really care or know or understand. And then I had a daughter. That is a personal pet peeve of mine, because to me, I always want to say, well, what did you think about women before you had a daughter? But I'll show that. <laughs> did you have a mother um, or a spouse or <laughs> sisters or cousins? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. that's a, I rant for a second. <laughs> but, but, you know, on the on the plus side, what you see is that that is that is a point of connection where now they are starting to understand where they sit and the privileges they've been afforded and where their daughter might not have access to the same abilities and and opportunities and all that other stuff. And so that's when you start seeing a lot of men entering into this conversation, thinking about what you can do, thinking about how we can change. It might not always be because I had a daughter. It could be I had, you know, a a family member or a friend who came out as gay. It could be, Mm -hmm. you know, I, 
I became disabled. So now I suddenly have started to realize that there's a lot of stuff going yeah, on in right. that area. So whatever that is, it's whatever that point of connection is, and then building on that and not just, you know, sort of, again, having that defensive pushback saying, this is not my problem, I shouldn't care. And just to add to that, I think, because I am cognizant of the fact that, you know, we white ladies, as you mentioned earlier, yeah. uh, do have plenty of privilege ourselves. And so what can we do to leverage our own privilege in, in these situations to lift up other people who are from other groups that may, whose voices may not be heard? Again, exactly what Felicia said about empathy and listening and not being so defensive, but then some, as far as like practical tools, things that you can do, you know, it obviously depends on the size of the company and what's already out there, a lot of companies have employee resource groups. I think a nice trend that we're starting to see is more and more companies are having diversity and inclusion councils or task force or groups as a way to have a more diverse group of people really try to tackle diversity and inclusion within their companies. There is certainly a growing push toward companies trying to, to address the issue. But if there isn't anything there, I would say, you know, if anybody's interested in that, there's certainly, there are some resources on our website, but there's certainly plenty of other resources around how to sort of form these groups and how to get the ball rolling mm -hmm. on that. And if you do have those groups and you're not a part of them, it's worth getting involved involved in yeah. them. Even if you think that you, maybe you don't identify in a certain group, you can still support and help in a variety of ways. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then um, I'll share two other sort of more tangible things because I know that sometimes this can seem so overwhelming and hard and, and it is hard, but that doesn't mean it's not worth trying. And I like to say a lot in the work that we do is that sometimes it's about moving the needle and, you know, over time, those small needle shifts will add up to a larger movement. The first thing is in meetings, making sure that every voice is being heard, whether that means if you have more introverted people or people who are, you know, don't have English as their first language or are from a different cultural background, making sure that they're supported and that they're being given agendas ahead of time and, and time and space during a meeting to speak and not just allowing the most dominant voice to take over. Also, one tip which I really love, and this will not be applicable for everybody, but if you are on social media, um, I'm thinking particularly of Twitter, look at your Twitter list of people you follow yeah. and just take a look and scan and see who, who do those people look like. And if you're following all people who look like yourself, then maybe start following people who don't look like you. Start to seek out those people who are having these conversations and follow them because it's, sometimes it's about opening yourself up to hearing from different people. And again, like I said before, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And for someone like you know, like me, like us, we're, we're in this a lot. We're constantly thinking about these topics. I still can't tell you what it's like to sit in the experience of someone who's different than me. Right. But if I listen to them, I can understand it. And then I can take that back and, and use that, help leverage my positions, share that information, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's another really great, easy, tangible, hands-on way to start thinking about what you can do as an individual, especially if you're not, you know, someone who might be on a council or have this in their title right. or be doing this work on a daily basis. There are yeah. still things you can do. Yeah. And I love this advice because I think it's advice you can you can start today, but also it doesn't matter what level you're at in your career. You know, if you're you just if today is day one at your first job ever, that's a great time to get started. And it's also a great start if you're thinking you're retiring next week. You know, like it doesn't the timing doesn't matter. Just do it. 
Yeah, I'll give a really quick shout out. It's not Twitter, it's actually Instagram. But for a really wonderful example of someone who's leveraging his privilege, there's an actor, Matt McGorry. He was on Orange is a New Black and maybe Scandal, I want to say, or How to Get Away with Murder. But anyway, he is a white, cisgender, heterosexual male. And he is very active on Instagram, lifting up other people's voices who are underrepresented, who are in this work. And it's really amazing the work that he is doing as a white dude yeah (laughs) so as for if anyone's not sure like what that looks like I would check his his Instagram handle out and and take a look for a great example yeah that's that's very helpful thank you for sharing that and also where can people learn more about the work that you guys are doing and you mentioned you guys have some resources so let let's go over those as well while while we can hear it but we'll also include it in the show notes uh you're kind thank you so the best way to reach us is to visit our website at shegeeksout.com. And we have a resources tab on our top nav. And so there's a whole section on our diversity inclusion resources, blog posts, podcasts, good stuff like that. So definitely encourage. Oh, we also have a newsletter, which you can sign up for as well, that we send out every other Thursday that highlights our blog posts on the topic and then also does a news roundup around specifically around diversity inclusion in the workplace. Amazing. Um, Amazing. And it is always astounding to me how much news there is. (laughs) No no dearth of news. And then of course we have social media handles at She Geeks Out on all the things. All the things. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing all this. It's, I mean, like I said, this was one of those topics where I, I even had trouble kind of you know, coming up with how to how to even phrase the questions because navigating power and privilege in the workplace is it's a tough one. It's so I really appreciate you guys sharing some tangible tips as well. Thank you so much. Well, you did a wonderful job. <laughs> Thank you. All right, thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Hey there. Let's take a quick break to talk about today's sponsor, Audible. Living in Los Angeles, I spend a lot of time sitting in traffic like three hours each day, a lot. During my long commutes, I need something that's going to keep me engaged and inspired. Plus, I'm a natural multitasker, so I like to use my time wisely. That's why I'm completely obsessed with Audible. Instead of staring at the bumper ahead of me every morning and every evening, I'm able to escape into a compelling story via Audible's vast selection of audiobooks that are professionally narrated by actors, authors, and motivational superstars. I really love being able to listen to my long list of professional development audiobooks, and I recently completed Reshma Sajani's Brave Not Perfect and Christopher Voss's audiobook on negotiation called Never Split the Difference. Next, I'm taking a break with a juicy fiction audiobook called Luckiest Girl Alive by Jessica Knoll. Audible has literally every and any audiobook I'm looking for. Listening makes us smart, more connected people. It makes us better partners, friends, and leaders. And there's no better place to start listening than Audible. Audible members now get more than ever before. Members choose three titles every month, one audiobook plus two Audible originals that they can't hear anywhere else. Whether you're in the mood for an audiobook on professional development, self-improvement, or you're just trying to escape into a best-selling fiction audiobook, Audible has you covered. Start listening with a 30-day Audible trial and your first audiobook plus two Audible originals are free. Visit audible.com slash females or text females to 500-500 to start listening today. That's audible.com slash females 
F-E-M-A-I-L-S. All right, now let's get back to the show. All right, it's that time in the show when we hear real voicemails left by you, our dear listeners, and do our best to give you some real talk career advice. And to help, I've invited Kayleen Cajas, our content director at Career Contessa, back on the show to give her two cents. Kayleen, welcome back. Hi, everyone. Happy to be here. Today's voicemail is all about how to make the leap from freelancing to full-time entrepreneur. Let's listen in. Hey there, my name is Katie, and I work in the nonprofit industry, but I am ready to break free and hopefully start my own business. Um, I'm looking to potentially start my own consulting business, but I right now I'm working primarily as a freelancer. Um, the other added element is that I'm also a military spouse, so we move states quite a bit. And I'm just kind of wondering that tipping point of owning your own business um, and then working, you know, with a W-9 and just as an independent contractor and when you sort of make that leap and what's that sort of sweet spot that would tip you over um, and any advice you would have as far as like establishing business within a specific state um, or if there's any way of establishing a business in a state but conducting it in a different state. Um, I know it's a highly technical question, but if you guys have any advice, that would be great. Looking forward to hearing from you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, well, Katie, first of all, congratulations on just, you know, being excited about taking that next step into entrepreneurship because going even going from full-time freelancing to entrepreneurship is exciting, really exciting. So congratulations on that. So Kayleen and I, we your question is technical, but I think it's a great question because a lot of people forget or, you know, the technical parts of starting a business are not very pretty and glamorous. And so people don't like, you know, people are like, I'll think of my marketing and my branding and like what I'm going to call my company first. And then I'll, you know, set it up through an LLC later or something like that. So first of all, I would say is make sure your ducks are in a row. If you're going to go from being a full-time freelancer where you are getting a consistent paycheck, even though you are a 1099 status, you want to make sure that, especially if you're moving around to different states, I would say find a great accountant and lawyer to get all of this set up because it is going to change some stuff. And the fact that, you, and it, it also changes from state to state. So my best advice is like, you really want to make sure you find someone who is skilled in that. I found... And the best way to get, you know, tips with that was just, rec- you know, asking other people, getting recommendations and referrals from other people and spending the time to interview, you know, your CPA or your lawyer to ask them like, well, what's your experience with working with people who are in a similar situation as me? Right. I mean, I think, unfortunately, it's probably wise to do all of the kind of nitty gritty, unfun accounting, lawyer yeah. things first before, because I think what can happen is if you get really excited about your marketing and your branding and, you know, the overall vision is that when you get to all of that stuff that's not fun and it's a lot of filling out forms and dealing with um, red tape, then you're kind of burnt out and you're like, mm, I don't even want to do this anymore. Yeah. I also, I did, I paid for all that stuff while I was still getting a paycheck before when I was starting Career Contessa. And I think that was also smart because it's it's pretty stressful to lose your consistent income and then be spending a lot of money on getting things set up where you're like, no, it, it's like, you know, the person who remodels their house and they have to pay all this money for like, 
new plumbing. You're like, no one even sees the plumbing. I want to, you know, you know, get the pretty bathroom or something. It's kind of the same thing with a company. And then when you are transitioning and you are getting those things set up, that's also a good time to like, I talk to our CPA a lot about like our business plan. And so having it very much laid out, like how do you plan on making money? How are you going to pay your bills? How much money do you need to live every month? So that when you do go from that full-time freelancer with that consistent income to an entrepreneur where maybe things are a little, you know, less consistent, at least in the beginning, you've got at least, you're you're at least starting with a game plan. A lot of times the game plans change and you pivot anyways, but they're probably going to ask you some questions about that too. Yeah. Like, I mean, everything from what the business looks like to what your overarching goals are to what you need to be successful every month, how much money you need to even operate. I do think that creating a business plan could be a really nice way to marry kind of the more daunting technical aspects and the and the overall vision and putting it all into one document and getting that together like that is is like an opus in the end and and it really does combine the great elements of what you're really excited to do and kind of the more drudgery of it. Absolutely. And that's a good time to then talk to the, especially your accountant about, okay, when I do have clients and they ask for, you know, my W-9 or who are they paying, you know, you're going to need to set up a bank account that's for your business. And you don't want to start working with clients and confuse them by sending them an invoice from, you know, your name and then sending them a new invoice from your company, not to mention it's going to make the whole tax thing later on a nightmare. So I think we've definitely proven our point. (laughs) Do all this stuff first. And lastly, I would say plan for all this to potentially take longer than you think. (laughs) Just just like remodeling your kitchen. Yeah, this this is a good (laughs) example. It it really, I know when I left my full-time job to work on Career Contessa full-time, I thought I'll have this whole thing up and running in a few months. And it took I mean, I was also kind of bouncing around from thing to thing, but it took me way longer. And so even though I had saved up a lot of money and I felt like I had a big cushion to, you know, help me have that buffer, all of it took longer. It all costs more money. And like, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but I also want to paint a very realistic picture of this is that be prepared for that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Any other advice, Kayleen? I know you live with a full-time freelancer, so... Uh, have a good partner if you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have, have some other people that you can talk to about yeah, that. This. You, seriously, though, that you can bounce your ideas off of. Also, because I think as someone who lives with a freelancer, having support is going to be so valuable because there's times where you you will just like completely doubt yourself. And, and it's very clear to the other person that what you're doing is amazing and that right. maybe you're not slowing down and, and counting your wins and giving you a pat on the back. So, so get, if you can get that support wherever you can get it, go after it. And yeah. that person will champion you till the end. Yeah. there, And I mean, especially if you're a military spouse, like finding someone else who's a military spouse who's also has her own business, like that would be ideal because, I mean, there's other challenges that come with that as well. So that was a really, really great question. Thank you for calling in. So if you want to leave us a voicemail, we would absolutely love that. Just call 844-FEMALES. 844-FEMALES. And it's uh, if you want the cheat sheet, it's 844-336-2457. We'll be back next Tuesday with Dr. Sasha Heinz, a positive psychologist, to talk about perfectionism. But until then, you can follow us on at CareerContessa on Instagram. Share this episode with your work wives and Instagram community with hashtag the females podcast and listen to this sneak peek of next week's episode. 
when you're eavesdropping on yourself, the second you notice your thoughts are going to like, what are they going to think about this? They're not going to think this is good enough. I'm going to look stupid. This isn't smart enough. This idea isn't good enough. Like that is where you can tell you're slipping into this. When you're thinking like, is this based on my standard of excellence? Like, do I think this is good enough for me? Or is it based on like, worry that you're going to be judged by somebody else? Like, I think that that's really where you start to slip into it.